A very good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to an evening this evening with David Pye, who's uh, coming to us from Glastonbury. Is that correct, David? It is indeed, yes. Well, just south of Glastonbury, in one of the villages. Right. Lovely. And David, tonight we'll be talking about reincarnation. Uh, that's always a very hot topic, uh, very widely debated. So, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to a very, very interesting evening with you, David. So... <laughs> David, can we ask a little bit about yourself, please? Uh, yes, yes, by all means. I'm, I'm essentially retired. I, I spent 20 years as a research chemist, uh, and um, after that, I moved on to, um, to, to, to IT. So really, my, my, my background is, is in the, the sciences, which is really why I, I was very impressed with um, uh, Dr. Helen Wombach, who's the lady I'll be talking about um, uh, in this presentation. She is quite an amazing lady. She's a, a research scientist herself. Obviously, she's a she's a, a psychologist, and the work that she did was back in um, back in the nineteen seventies, and that's what I'll be um, focusing on. Wonderful. Something very very interesting is uh, becoming more and more apparent as these series of talks go on, not only here on the church page but on other channels as well, is the number of uh, what you would regard as very highly educated professionals, doctors, professors, who are really getting into the intuitive arts as we know them, through uh, mediumship, past lives, healing especially. It, it's, it's really comforting, actually, that, you know, these people whose name has a lot of weight are really looking at it and looking at it properly you know they're going in there with an open mind and they're analyzing what they see and making those deductions but that's one of the wonderful things with spiritualism because if we go back to the pioneer days of spiritualism in the uk I, all the top spiritualists were of very very high standing and a very high educational background which in those days was a rarity because education wasn't available to everybody so, yeah, it's really interesting uh, that so many of the sciences are now looking towards what we call the esoteric fields and really investigating them, really looking at them. And they're not going away going, it's fake. Now, I, I love that. I love that. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And it's a great, it's a great change in the way science is looking at things. There's still plenty of people who are reactionaries, especially TV scientists like Brian Cox and um, other people who sort of um, poo-poo a lot of the alternatives. Uh, but, um, you know, things are changing. That's great. Indeed. And it, that's like any subject and any matter, isn't it? If you come in there with, yes. that own, if, with your own energy of what you want to achieve by it, well, lo and behold, you probably will achieve that because you've created it. You've, you've interfered with the experiment, if you like. You know, you've gone in with that vein of, yeah, I'm going to prove this is wrong. Uh, who's the magician? I never remember his name. He does the fantastic stunts. And he says, oh. yeah, yeah, locks himself um, no, in a I box. Can't think of it. Yeah, he's, he's always on the, on the box, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, he, he puts himself no, in a terrible. box and flushes himself out of a plain toilet or something and appears That's in right. McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And yes. he says, uh, you know, mediumship and spirituality, he said, is, is a big fake. There's nothing there. And I've seen him do things, and I'm thinking, you know what, mate? I, I think, actually, 
you decry it, but on the side, there there are talents there because apart from a pure psychic force being applied, I really can't see how that worked. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, people don't want to hear from me. They hear from me all the time. David, sir, over to you. Okay, uh, well, I'm going to share the screen because what I'd like to do is to um, give you a little sort of presentation. I'll, I shall talk over it because I, I think some of you may be looking on iPads or, or even mobile phones. So some of the words may be a little too small. So uh, essentially, if I start sharing my screen. Okay, I'm just going to do that now. It takes a, a little while. That's what we're doing now. Very good evening to everybody joining us. Hi, hi, hi. Thank you. <laughs> we're just having that technical moment, ladies and gents. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, there we go. Is something, is something coming up there? Yeah. It is indeed. Oh, okay. Let me on. There we go. Can, can, can people see that? Uh, no, you've got it on the application window. All we're seeing is about, you know, the windows disappearing into the distance here. Oh, okay. I know that kind of thing. Yes. Uh, yeah. All right, ladies and gents, we did practice this the other day. <laughs> it worked perfectly last time, didn't it? So, yeah. Clearly, it's um, not going to go this time. Um, let me try stop sharing. Right. Okay. Let's try that. Share screen. Okay, share screen. So uh, I've got windows or screen to share. I'll select windows or screen. What should I select? Entire screen? Ent try entire screen, yeah. Okay. Oh, that's looking at... Oh, no. Oh, it's doing that thing again. What's, um, what's happening? There you go. Can you see anything now? Yeah, if you max... Uh, there you go. There is that you it? go. Have we got it? Okay. Excellent. Right. <laughs> See, ladies We're, and gents, um... the work we have to go through to bring you an evening of <laughs> education. <laughs> David, without further ado, I shall step out of the studio and hand it over to you, sir. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks, thanks Lawrence. Um, okay. Well, basically, I'll be talking about death and reincarnation, which I know is always a very interesting topic, especially uh, when you get to my age. You're always um, thinking, how long have I got? But essentially, um, probably still got a few years yet. So the truth about death and reincarnation. And essentially, what I'll be talking about is the pioneering work of Dr. Helen Wombach. And I'm also going to mention at the end uh, Dr. Michael Newton, who some of you uh, may have heard of. So let's um, get into that. So the first question one might ask is, where do you go when you die? I mean, look at this graveyard with just like hundreds and hundreds of graves. You think, so what happened to those people? I mean, does the, when the brain dies and the body dies, is that it? Are we just suddenly blacked out and no longer exist? And also, if, if, there, is, if there is something that happens after death, if there, is, if there is life after death, then you may ask the question, what is the purpose in this particular life? What was it that you were supposed to do? Was, was there, were there any lessons? Were, was there something you were supposed to happen in this life? Or just, or just live it? And also, if, if there is life after death, and if there is reincarnation, that means that people are going to be reborn again. And do you get any choice in that process? 
did you actually choose this life? And I'm sure many of you will say, oh, no way I'd have chosen this life. It's terrible. But let's have a look at what um, Dr. Wombach uncovered. So here we go. This is Dr. Helen Wombach, um, 1925 to 1985. That's when she died, which is rather a shame, really, because she did most of her work in the um, 1973 onwards. Um, she was a clinical psychologist at JFK University. And she started this group hypnotic regression program in 1973. Prior to that, she had done some uh, direct client um, hypnotic regressions. This is essentially where you hypnotize somebody and you take them back to the past, back to when they were a child. And in, in the case of regression, you take them back beyond their birth, back to the period before their birth and back into a previous life. And that's called um, past life regression. And that's what Dr. Helen Wombach started off her work doing. Now, she began that research expecting hypnotic regression to be fantasy, which is a very interesting standpoint because she was a research scientist. So she began it without any, any, any sort of expectations. And she just thought to herself, well, this is probably fantasy. All these people saying, oh, I was such and such in a past life. And she actually published um, two books in 1978. The first one was called Reliving Past Lives, which is all the evidence uh, under hypnosis. And the second one was quite interesting. That was, she looked really at the period in between lives, what actually happened in that process. So if people die and they, and they go to heaven or spirit or whatever, what happens when they're up back, back up a spirit? What, what goes on? What discussions goes on? Who do they meet? What's going on? And why do they decide to come back again? to live another life, which is what reincarnation is all about. So let me explain first as to why Helen Wambach was thinking that hypnotic regression and reincarnation was fantasy. And it's a very good one. Oh, sorry, let me, um, let me just go back to this. Uh, I'll go on, before I go into that, what I'll do is I'll just have a little um, uh, sort of summary of, um, of reincarnation and various religions. Let's have a look at this. So I'm going to look at Tibetan Buddhism. Now, this is the Baba Chakra. This is a, a symbol that often appears outside Buddhist temples. And it's essentially the wheel of life. I don't know if you can see my mouse going around, but if you just imagine the wheel and on it are various scenes of life and inside are all the various worlds. They've got the animal world, got the world of um, spirit world. Uh, you've got the demon world. You've got all these little worlds inside it. And up at the top there, you've got the Buddha, and the Buddha is pointing over to the left-hand side. He's pointing to the moon. I'll explain why he's doing that in a minute. But basically, in the center of this Baba Chakra, we've got a very interesting structure. Uh, we've got this structure. We've got a pig, uh, we've got a bird, and um, we've got a snake. And these represent the, um, these rep represent, uh, the basic emotions that keep you locked in, in the earth plane that stop you from, from, from passing on to, to higher levels. So the pig um, represents gluttony and the bird represents desire and the snake represents anger. And the way to, the way to overcome the, the constant cycle of birth, death and rebirth is through the teachings of the Buddha. And if you follow the, um, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, you can see the Buddha here is pointing to the, um, to the moon, which represents nirvana, which represents what we're all trying to get to, to get off this constant cycle. And so that's a very sort of a potted um, explanation of um, Buddhism and the 
reasons for the Buddhist belief in reincarnation. So let's have a little look at Hinduism. Uh, I apologize, apologize for anyone who knows a lot more about this. I'm just going through it quite briefly. So Hinduism and the Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita is a very famous um, book. It's part of the Upanishads. And it's quite famous for a whole variety of reasons. But one of the main reasons is in the middle of the Bhagavad Gita, there's this very special scene where Arjuna, this is this chap down here, has started a great war in India. It's, it's for obviously who's going to lead um, India. And we've got two great armies that are just about to do this massive battle. And what happens is Arjuna has this sudden, this sudden um, sort of epiphany type moment where he's thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be fighting this army. And on the other side are all my relatives, my, my uncles and, and my brothers, and I'm fighting on my side of the army. I'm going to end up killing all my family. Now, conveniently, he has Krishna, the god Krishna, as his um, chariot driver, which is very fortunate. And essentially, Arjuna has this, um, this sudden clash of faith. He says, I cannot slay my kinsmen, not for all the three worlds, much less a kingdom. And, and um, Krishna, you think, well, Krishna might be sympathetic, but what Krishna says is he turns to Arjuna and he says, this is your hour of trial, Arjuna. Such base despair does not become you. It is inappropriate. The call to battle has already been sounded. Arise and take up your arms. So this is Krishna telling him to get on with the battle. Now, why would he do that? And Krishna explains to Arjuna that the soul in man is neither born nor can it die. Weapons cannot cut it. Fire cannot burn it. Water cannot wet it. Wind cannot dry it. What makes you think you can kill the soul? And he goes on to say, just as a man discards old clothes and wears new ones, the eternal soul sheds a dead body and enters another. So this is Krishna explaining to Arjuna about reincarnation and the fact that, okay, you've got this great battle, people are going to die, but you can't kill the soul. And what happens then, of course, is that um, Krishna does what he does best, which is doing this amazing vision of all his personal past incarnations. So let's have a look at Christianity. Christianity and reincarnation, now you probably think, well, what's Christianity got to do with reincarnation? Well, if we go back, back to the past, and, and in fact, we're going back to um, 527, and this is the, um, the Roman Empire, which, of course, um, by 527, have been pushed right back to this orange area here, which is the Byzantine Empire. And they basically lost all, all these lands. And then um, the Roman Empire had been pushed right back to the east, and a very powerful Christian emperor came on the throne, Justinian I, and he fought back and he regained all this yellow territory here, which had been taken over by the Goths and the, and the, um, the Vandals. They'd taken over all this piece of land, and he fought it all, got it all back, and he was a very, very powerful character. And here's a, here's a snapshot of uh, Justinian. Uh, now, Justinian was a Christian despot. Now, he fiercely controlled law and religion, and he was advised by his bishops that reincarnation taught that souls came from God. Because at this time, Christianity was teaching reincarnation. And what Justinian believed was that people would think if they knew they came from God, then they would be the equal of Jesus, who, of course, also came from God. 
the result being that the state and the church would not be able to control the people because they thought themselves the equal of, um, of Jesus and of God. So in 545 AD, Justinian applied all the power of Rome to stop the teaching of reincarnation. He forced the ruling cardinals and he forced the Pope, and the Pope was very resistant to this, uh, to draft a papal decree stating that anyone teaching that souls come from God and return to God, e.g. reincarnation, would be punished. So what did this papal decree say? This is very interesting in that what the papal decree said was that souls do not come from God, but souls are created at the moment of conception. And souls only go to heaven if they follow the church's teachings. So this enabled great control over people through fear, because if they didn't follow the church, they could not be saved and damnation would result. Now, this decree that souls do not come from God, but souls are created at the moment of conception is still current today. The Catholic Church still believes this, that a soul is created at the moment of conception. And the only, its only saviour, the only place it can go after death is heaven, or if it doesn't follow the teachings of the church, um, it ends up going to hell. <coughs> so this, again, was a great controlling feature. Now, the reason we know this is because if we look back here at Egypt, um, you'll, you'll all be aware of the, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls um, up in the top right-hand corner there by the Dead Sea. But before the Dead Sea Scrolls, in 1945, at the Egyptian site of Hagnamadi, um, ceramic jars were found containing leather-bound papyrus books. And it is believed that they were hidden sometime in the 4th century AD. So this is well before um, Justinian. And if we have a look at these books, you see, uh, I don't know if you can see this on, on your screens, but in the top right, Christian text of secret teachings believes to have been written before AD 180 and the reason they know that is that it's been mentioned this book has been mentioned in lots of documentation and historical writings but it wasn't discovered until 1945 and it describes Jesus Christ appearing and giving secret knowledge or gnosis to the Apostle John so what did he say to John well Jesus explains that human souls are recycled by Jehovah and constantly thrown into forgetfulness and prisons. <coughs> oh, excuse me a moment, just a quick drink. Uh, uh, now you might think that's a bit weird. Why, why would they say constantly thrown into forgetfulness and prisons? And um, the prison here refers to the Gnostic term for the physical body because the Gnostics weren't really interested in the physical body. They were interested in purifying the body. So ultimately that they could go to heaven. So, um, they tended to refer the, to the physical body as a prison. But Jesus is describing here reincarnation. And John asks him how a soul can be liberated from this cycle. And Jesus goes on to say, the soul needs to follow another soul in whom the spirit of life dwells, e.g. somebody of a, of a higher spiritual nature. Because the soul, he calls it she, she is saved through the spirit. And once she is saved, she will never be thrust into flesh again. And it's again this term thrust into flesh or reincarnation. This is all about thinking of the flesh as being this, this prison idea. But essentially, he's talking about reincarnation and how you get off the, um, the, the wheel of constant uh, birth, death and rebirth. Now the, now, the term thrust into flesh 
or reincarnation has completely disappeared from the Bible. Um, there are some verses, though, which do survive where John the Baptist is claimed to be Elijah returned. And that really is pretty much the only mention of reincarnation in the Bible. OK, right. Well, apologies to anybody who knows a lot more about that than me. But that's wanted to to get that over to you as a kind of a little bit of a, a potted uh, summary of um, the major religions and how they think about reincarnation. So back to Helen Wombach, the main topic of the um, of tonight's talk. So by the time of her death in 1985, she had regressed over 6,000 people. And she did this as group hypnosis, not individuals. I'll go on to explain that. So let's, let's have a look first though, as to why um, Helen believed that regression Past life regression was probably fantasy. Let's have a look at why she thought that. And it's very interesting. There's a case in 1952, you know, but we're going right back now. Uh, a US housewife, Virginia Ty, she was hypnotically regressed by an amateur hypnotist, um, Maury Bernstein. Um, and when she was regressed, she started talking about this past life as a lady called Bridie Murphy uh, in Ireland. And this is back in 1798 to 1864. And this book was, was published, um, The Search for Bridie Murphy. And it actually, it was actually so famous at the time that, that um, the, it, was, it caused a huge furore because as far as the American public was concerned, it was like proof of reincarnation. And there were uh, Bridie Murphy songs produced, there was even a Bridie Murphy dance. It was a really big thing in the 50s. And, and the film, which is actually available on YouTube, so if you've an hour and a half to spare you it's quite a uh, intriguing um basically you can see uh, virginia tithe here with the hip just using a candle to uh, hypnotize into this past life uh, unfortunately what what happened is is that because this story got so big the um the press and the media decided to really really dig into it and they went over to ireland to check everything that um uh, Bridie Murphy had claimed near the church she was born, the place she was born, the house, the people she knew. And what happened is they did find that there were some discrepancies. The vast majority of it was correct, but there were discrepancies about the um, the church, the church she was um, she was married in didn't exist. She called her husband Sian, when obviously his name was Sean. And there's a few other discrepancies, which basically the big discrepancy, which kind of killed the story, was that apparently when, when little um, Virginia was five years old, she lived um, in America, obviously, she'd never, never left America. There was a lady living opposite who was an Irish immigrant, and this lady was called Bridie Murphy. Now, even though that this, this Bridie Murphy lady hadn't lived in 1798, um, she was living in the present day, what happened is the, the media and the scientists and everybody got onto it, and it was decided that what it was was a case of cryptomnesia, which is basically meaning that this Bridie Murphy over the road had told these stories to little Virginia, and little Virginia, when she'd grown up, had remembered these stories, thinking they were her own memories, and therefore the whole um, case was, was squashed. So it was that kind of background that um, made Helen Wombach think that maybe, you know, uh, regression and reincarnation is all fantasy. So she basically decided to set up a series of scientific experiments to decide what would you expect if it was fantasy? And she came to the conclusion that if it was fantasy, you would expect people to recall famous or interesting lives. It would all be Cleopatra's or Napoleon's. 
you'd also expect people to um, be upper class rather than lower class if it's fantasy. Why, why would you want to be slaving in the fields when you can be uh, somebody riding a horse uh, and have a cattle? So um, you'd also expect, because uh, back in the day, um, males had a lot more freedom than females, you would expect more male lives and female lives to be, um, to be reported. You'd also expect time periods familiar to the subject. So you'd like the days of cowboys, the Wild West, or you'd expect um, uh, periods that are very familiar because the, the person, the subject had read books on a particular topic. And also you would expect population changes in time periods not reflected in lives reported. What this means basically is that if you look at the population of, of of the planet Earth, it's been amazingly static for a long time. It's only about half a billion, right up till about um, the, the late 1700s. And then it starts to rise quite dramatically for a whole variety of reasons. Obviously, um, less wars, less diseases, um, the, the rise of antibiotics, the rise of, of uh, vaccines, etc. And also, many women in the, in the early days died in childbirth. And so with the rise of better, um, better hospital care, better nursing care that uh, that happened less and less so all these factors added up to make the um the population of the earth shoot up and this is, goes up to 2006 billion and now we're on the way to um just over 7 billion so you'd expect that pattern to be repeated if you were doing a, a long time period of people's um people's past lives so let's have a look at um what the method she used basically she didn't want to regress individuals what she wanted to do was regress several people and she did she regressed up to 30 subjects at a time and basically she got people to come along on a saturday um they to fund the whole thing i think they all paid about 20 dollars um each for a saturday session and they stayed there all day they, br they brought lunch and they brought a, a blanket and a pillow and basically she laid them all down and she took them through a hypnotic regression and she said to them she regressed them and she guided them to choose past life from a selection of time periods. And she did this so she had something quantifiable uh, in terms. I'll explain that a bit more as we go on. What she did is, while people were hypnotically regressed to these past lives, and obviously not everybody went to a past life with 30 subjects, uh, a good, but a good half of them actually um, did go back to a previous um, life and reported it. And Helen asked them a series of questions and told them that they would remember the answers on waking and be able to complete a special answer form. This is the, this is the clever bit. Uh, she did three separate regressions, uh, identical procedure for every group. So basically, if um, somebody had a, a regression early on and it was something very, very scary, she didn't want that person uh, sort of um, uh, getting obsessed about that particular life. So she gave them three opportunities. And also people who didn't get anything. If they have three goes, at least they've had a, a, good, a good shot at it. And in the end, she gathered together all these, all these special answer forms and she analyzed the results statistically herself. There's no computers. This was back in the 70s when um, computers were, time was very, very expensive. And she didn't need a computer for this. She just needed a lot of hard work. So the questions that were asked on the hypnosis, what, what was she asking? She basically asked people the type of clothes the utensils, the food and diet, the skin color, gender, money, social class, the climate, the housing, all this information which could be checked historically. That's what she was after. 
hence the time periods. Uh, she asked them also, very interesting, about the death experience. She asked them to go through the death experience in their previous life to ask them what it was like, what happened. She also asked them what happens in between lives and how is this current life chosen? And does anybody help you decide this particular life and why this life? Why this time period? And what is your purpose in this life? So she really bombarded them with questions. And amazingly, because she hypnotically asked them to remember the answers, they, they all wrote down all the answers. She also asked them about the birth experience into this present life. Uh, when did you connect with the fetus? And she also asked, are people, this is a very interesting one, are people in the present life known to you from previous lives? It's quite an interesting question. So let's have a look at uh, one of the, some of the answers. Now, I haven't got all the answers here because basically I've, I've tried to condense down the two books. So basically I've just been looking at the, um, at the, the, the main ones. So whether you would, she had expected from fantasy that people would fantasize about more male lives and females, all being Napoleons or, or Hitler or Alexander the Great, etc. What did she find? Well, she, interestingly, what she found over the first, um, as, as, this is on the book, so this is basically the first 1,200 cases, and this is repeated for, for, for all the 6,000. But as you can see, it basically comes out at 50% male and 50% female. It's actually equal. It actually, the whole thing equals out. So there are no more males being remembered than females, which is very interesting. She also asked, you would expect if it was fantasy uh, that you would get more upper class lives reported than lower class. What did she find? Well, interestingly, she found that the upper class lives that were being reported, and you can tell this from the information that people write down, she found that they were basically, the upper class were really only about... Um, 5% of the lives reported. Middle class were at about 20-30%. But the vast majority of people were reporting lower class lives where they're basically toiling in the fields or doing um, menial jobs. So the vast majority of people, as you would expect from historical data, would all be lower class. So she started to begin that, you know, there really is something in this. People are reporting stuff, what appear to be real lives. Uh, population changes, this is an interesting one. You would expect, well, let's put the graph up. Now, you remember this graph uh, to, the, to the right here that I showed, where it starts off very low and, and then zooms up at the end. She found exactly the same things. People were reporting, obviously, lives in these time periods, but there were more lives reported in these more recent times than there were in, in past times. And it follows the very same pattern as, as what you see in the population changes. And although this is only the first um, 1,200 cases or so, um, she actually saw the same thing repeated over the, the whole 6,000. So let's, let's go on to have a look at the death experience. Um, subjects were asked to recall their death. This is obviously when they died in their past life. What happened to them then? And she wanted to, to remember the feelings that they had, but without any associated pain. So what kind of answers did she get? Well, 85% had very positive experiences. And this is a typical experience. I'll read this out for you because it's, it's quite important, actually. 
Now, she's, this particular person says dying was like being released. It was like going home again. It was as though a great burden had been lifted when I left my body and it floated up towards the light. I felt affection for the body I had occupied in this lifetime, but it was so good to be free. And that's so important. It was so good to be free. So death is a great release. And this is a pattern that, that was she found repeated through every every case. Now, you'll see um, the keen-eyed ones, if you could spot it, 85% of very positive experiences. So what would you think the 15% were? Well, essentially, the 15% that didn't have positive experiences experience violent or sudden death. Now, I know a lot of you listen to this are probably medium, so probably got quite a bit of experience of this kind of thing. So here's an example of, of a bloke. I'll, I'll read it out so that um, for, for those of you that... Uh, aren't able to see it on the screen. Uh, basically, this gentleman says, I was hit by a car while I was running across the street. I seemed to continue running across the street and I wasn't really aware that I was dead. I felt very frustrated and lost because I didn't understand what was happening. Finally, I found myself in a place of darkness and eventually, we don't know how long, but eventually they see a bright light. And when they see the bright light, they go soaring up through the darkness towards the light. So this, people who die violent or sudden deaths tend to hang around uh, for a, a considerable period of time before they eventually go up to the, to the light. Now, another example, which you probably guess is, is coming, is uh, a war experience. And this is a gentleman who was fighting and then his body crumpled because obviously he'd been killed. But he kept on fighting, his spirit kept on fighting, but he couldn't seem to affect anything going on around him. He was still on the battlefield, but then he seemed to be joined by others who'd also died and they were carrying on fighting in their spirits. They couldn't seem to leave that scene. Now, this particular gentleman, eventually he did leave the scene after a significant period of time and he did go to the light. But you can, but you can see how um, sudden or violent deaths can be such a shock to the system that people will tend to hang around um, in the earth plane for quite some period of time. And I know that uh, some of the you folks out there who are mediums have probably got involved in, in helping people and guiding them to the light. So um, if you're doing that, well done you. So here we go. It's another death experience. Um, again, this is a person. I saw the high in the sky after I left my body. I didn't want to look back. I seemed to be surrounded by others who were congratulating me on that lifetime. I felt a sense of homecoming and great joy. There was life all around me. So when people die, they have this wonderful experience where they go up to the light and, and they meet people they know, they meet their guides, they have this great sense of homecoming and joy. So there's absolutely nothing to fear about death experience. Anyway, um, at this point, what I'd like to do is play um, a little recording. This is, a, this is Dr. Helen Wombach. Um, it's a recording, a radio interview she did uh, back in 1979, so it's uh, quite quite a while ago, and she's just talking about the death experience. So, um, uh, Lawrence, if, if you're there, I don't know if, if this is going to play. Okay, let's 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 give it a go and see if it will. Let it go. Thank <laughs> you. 
Yeah, that's not coming across at all well, sadly, David. Oh, OK. Um, it's, not, it's not coming across. No, sadly not. Did you uh, just tick the little share audio box when you went into screen share? Uh, let me um, let me have this and just see if I can um, if I can get it again. Uh, mm, I'm not sure I did actually. Um, yeah, if you stop your screen share and then restart it, but on the first okay. screen. Bottom left-hand corner, there's a little box that says share audio, and you need to tick the box. Select windows on screen. If I put in my screen, a um, bit of decision. No, I can't see any, any box that says to be able to um, hear the sound. Um, I can play it through through the speaker on the PC and, and see if the microphone picks it up. Shall we try that? Yeah, give that a go, David. Let me just, say, moment, just to let you know, we've lost your, your um, PowerPoint presentation at the moment. You need to reintroduce that. Can, can you hear that now? Is that any better? No. No, okay. No. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, maybe we'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll abandon that one. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I can always send the link to it. Um, okay, I'll, I'll just get back, go back to the presentation. Back on here. Can, can you see the screen now? Not at the moment. You haven't shared it. It's not come up on my screen. Okay. Uh, we'll screen. be back shortly, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we have a little <laughs> interval. Technology, eh? Um, okay, let's try again. Share screen. This is where we sing, let's all go to the lobby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see, sing a song, Lawrence. That, that would um, keep people. <laughs> okay, let me go back to the screen. Your browser has blocked your screen. Um, oh, okay, let me. Um, I think we had this problem before, didn't we? Let me just switch to another browser. I think. I'm just going to load it again. Well, while we just got this short pause, ladies and gents, if anybody's got any questions and you want to start loading up the uh, chat bar to the side, please feel free. No, it's not not letting me back in actually. Um, okay, let's uh, let's try again. Screen I can you on your address bar. So we're having a lovely evening here with David Pye. Uh, <laughs> it was bound to happen sooner or later that we would have some technical issues. Uh, I found it thoroughly fascinating so far. Quick synopsis while we're waiting for David to rejoin us. 
the uh, going back through the historical and all the other religion, including the Christianity side of the um, reincarnation debate. How interesting is that? Uh, totally fascinating. I know reincarnation normally provokes quite a uh, response from people. It's a very hotly debated topic. What does spirit? What do spirit do? Oh, hello. I love that sound. Yeah. Hello, you're back. Excellent, excellent. Okay, I'm going to share the screen again. Let's see if it'll um, you know, do it again this time. Your entire screen. Share. Okay, it's doing that thing again. Um, can you can you see it now? Yeah, you need to maximise the central screen, David. How's how's that? Back to the um start again. Yep. So, let, me just, let me just play through it. So those of you joining us late, here's a chance <laughs> to catch up on everything. Watch carefully, children. <laughs> there we go. We're, we're nearly there. We're nearly there. Shall I, shall I try the, um, the broadcast again? No, I think you... Let's <laughs> abandon it. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think you may need to bring that in a later life. Did you say something about you could post a link to it or something? I can do, yes. Yeah, I, I can post that, a link to it. Yeah, that'll yeah. probably be good. Okay, let's... um. Right, let, let's go on to the next phrase, which is choosing to be born, because one of the questions that she asked people is why did they choose this particular life? Um, basically, she asked the question, did anyone help with the choice? Um, were you reluctant to be born? Good question. The purpose of this lifetime. Oh, there we go. That's uh, those three. Um, basically, here's an example. Basically, this person says, I chose to be born. Someone did help me choose. And it seemed to be some kind of voice that I trusted. Uh, the person was kind, helpful, and very wise. Feelings about the prospect of being born again were very positive. When you asked about the purpose of this lifetime, it flashed that I was to help broaden people's minds. And I chose to become a male this time, which is interesting. This person chose to become a male. So we have a, we have the choice of not only what life we live, but also whether we're going to be male or female. Then got another one here. This person chose to be born. Um, a group of loved ones supported this person and encouraged this person to go through this coming lifetime. But the person wanted to stay uh, back in spirit with the loved ones and not be born again. Um, Eventually, they were persuaded, and the person says, I knew that one of my purposes was to love, but I got no impression for why I had chosen this time period. I felt that I had always been female. I didn't really choose it. This is somebody who obviously incarnates a lot as a female. It just seemed the most natural thing. And another one, uh, this is somebody um, who didn't want to be born again. Uh, my brother and some soul guardians seemed to be helping me. Uh, when you asked about the prospects of being born, I thought, oh, not again. But I also knew I had to learn more. And the purpose for this lifetime was to develop their psychic abilities and correct diet and health and their mental and emotional attitudes. Quite a, a bit on their plate, really. Uh, I chose this time period to re-experience life with my present family and friends. So this is a person that's being reincarnated back into the same family group, obviously um, different times apart. Um, but they're being um, reincarnated with family and friends who they'd known before and would also still be alive in this time. And she chose to be a woman to experience motherhood. So that's quite nice. 
Uh, the birth experience, this is a typical reply about being born, sensing the feelings of the mother, joining with the fetus. This is very interesting. This person says, I attached to the fetus when I decided to meet it in the womb of my mother just before birth. The feelings of my mother were very positive, loving and warm. When you asked for the birth experience, I felt an odd tingling sensation around the fleshy ball that was me. My impression after birth was one of happiness and the doctor seemed pleased and my mother was very happy. I feel that this lifetime feels very good and positive and a burst of energy. So this, this is somebody who is really keen on being born again. That's not uh, for everyone though. When you asked about the attachment to the fetus, I felt that I didn't really attach until my mother was in labor. The birth canal experience was interesting. I felt a fusion of my energy coalescing. So the fusion of their energy coalescing with the physical body. But they also felt anger at the loss of control as soon as they were born because they're in this, they're in this spirit energy and suddenly they're being coalesced into this very small, tiny physical body. Um, and it goes on to say, I was not really ready for the emotion of other people I was experiencing once I was born. And we got another one. Oh, this is interesting. Relationships. The questions are, do you know anyone in this life from a past life? I'm sure a lot of people will, um, will have thoughts about this. What was your relationship to them in the past? Is there a purpose to your current relationship? Interesting question as to why would you be um, born again with somebody you've known from a past lifetime? What was the purpose of that? And what did we get? And this person says, I knew my mother in a past life when she was my sister, but I didn't know my father before or my husband, but I did know my children from past lives. So quite an interesting mixture there of people that they knew very well and people that they didn't know. And another one here, I did know my mother from past life, but my father seemed very vague. Uh, my husband I knew from a past life, but I didn't know my children. One friend came through as someone I'd known well in the past life. So they don't, they don't have to be relatives um, for people who you've known in past lives. They can be friends. I'm sure um, many of you listening here would probably have got friends who are far more friendly than perhaps some of your um, relatives. Uh, quite an interesting one here. Um, my mother had been my sister in a past life when we fought all the time. My father had been my grandfather in another lifetime. My husband was a Sioux Indian when I was a French padre, and I didn't like him then either. So this is clearly someone who has um, got a few issues to sort out in this particular lifetime. And she's obviously reincarnated again with the person that was a husband in a past life. Uh, and uh, to try and um, get on well better, perhaps. Anyway, I'm just going to summarise the, the findings now of, of Helen Wombach, which is basically the research, the, the research indicates that what was being reported did not appear to be fantasy because of the, um, the correlation with, with history. The research method was repeatable with different hypnotists and different groups. So she was able to, to farm out the method to other hypnotists. Uh, uh, some, I think quite a bit went on, not so much in the UK, but in France and other parts of the world. Uh, and the research method was repeatable. Um, we choose or we're guided to choose our present lives. So we have help. I mean, we choose them ourselves, but we're guided or, or helped by, by, by um, uh, other, other people in the spirit realm to choose this present life. 
The birth experience is generally traumatic and the majority of souls enter the fetus just before birth, which if you remember, according to the Catholic Church, um, the soul is created at the moment of conception. But the evidence here shows that the souls actually enter the fetus just before birth. And there's also other experience to show that um, souls actually pop in and out of the fetus during the whole nine-month period to make sure that everything's okay. But they only actually can or coalesce uh, with, the, with the fetus just before birth. The other findings were we incarnate with people we have known from past lives. That's a, a very common um, theme. Now, we have had many past lives. Lots of us have had many, many past lives, some of which might appear quite dull and laborious, e.g. We, we know from um, Helen's research that the vast majority of people were born into lower, lower caste lives. Um, but, but, you know, that, that's not a problem in the sense of just, just because a life uh, may be dull and laborious in terms of the amount of work you've got to do, there's always relationships to work out and goals to be achieved in every lifetime. So there's plenty of lessons to be learned in any kind of life. And the most important thing, which what I'd really like to take away from this, is that there's nothing to fear about death. When death occurs, it is a great release to return to our true home and a reunion with all the people we know. There's, there is no hell, basically. It's all, it's all heaven. We go back to a place of unconditional love. If you want to think of hell, then probably in comparison, um, here on earth is the best example of hell. But there's a little bit more on this later, actually, because you might say, yeah, hang on, what about all the people like Hitler and all the people who have done terrible things in their lives? Do they all go back as well? Well, we'll have a look at that in a moment. So basically, in conclusion, there does appear to be a mechanism and a grand plan for what happens on earth, for all the life on earth. And we incarnate here to learn, experience and achieve certain objectives that will add to the greater knowledge of the universe. That's, uh, that's my conclusion, not um, anybody else's. So I'm to blame for that. So what I was going to do now is, um, I think we've got a bit of time left, is just go on to Dr. Michael Newton. Um, he basically, I think, he, he, he was around when um, Helen Wombach was around. Whether they knew each other, I can't actually find out, because he started his work uh, in the late 80s into the 90s. And basically, Michael Newton um, did individual hypnotic regression and he did over 5,000 cases during his career and he waited until he got that many cases before he published his first book which was Journey of Souls and his interest he wasn't interested in past lives particularly he was focusing on the spirit realm he wanted to know what happened in that period between lives and he had very detailed conversations with individuals who've been regressed to the period in between lives and he went on because this was so successful, he went on to set up the Newton Institute to train other people to carry on the work that he was doing. And there are lots of people who are trained um, regressionists who, who take several years to, to, to become qualified, very well, well experienced people. And they can give in the pe people uh, individual life before life, past life regressions, which is very interesting. So... Um, what did Dr. Michael Newton find in his, um, I'm, this is like a, a, a potted um, summary, really, of, of um, what, what he found, because there's this book, Journey of Souls, and there's one called Destiny of Souls, which he published several years later. So basically, unfortunately, Michael Newton uh, died um, a few years ago, 
Um, so what he, what he, his first thing he found out about was leaving the body after death. He asked people about what happened, and very similar, almost identical to what Helen Wombach found, people head up towards the light. And generally, uh, when, they, when they reach the light, they meet one or more of their guides. And they also meet people um, who, who the person has known or has known um, during that life or even in previous lives and meet up with all their friends again. And also, the, and he describes um, if a soul has had a very tough life, then there is a soul healing process uh, that goes on. There's also, um, what he also found is that suicides, um, Helen Wombach found, found this as well, is that suicide, when people commit suicide, immediately on death, they realize that they've made a mistake. Um, suicide, that there's no, there's no sh quick way out. Essentially, there's no checking out early. If you if you incarnate to do certain tasks and you can't do them and you and you check out early, uh, basically you have to make up for it in some other way. So basically, uh, quite often following discussions with your guides, etc., and um, and with, with with higher beings, you may well come back to repeat that life, or you may well say. Oh, I'm never coming back again because basically one thing that Michael Newton found is that people have total freedom of choice, that no one's forced you to, 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 to go back down again to lead another life. If you don't want to do it, basically, you can, just, you can just sit back and say, I've had enough. Or also, you can even incarnate on another planet somewhere. It doesn't have to be the Earth. Another thing he found out. Now, rehabilitation of evildoers, yes, if people have gone very, very much astray in a life, then there is a rehabilitation process. It's almost like a solitary confinement where they, they go through all the bad things that they've done and they, they look at how they can possibly um, rehabilitation of, of that uh, person. Souls aren't destroyed for being bad, but they certainly go through um, a lot of uh, angst when they, when they come back. So uh, that's what you do, I think. Uh, returning to our soul group, um, yeah. Basically, we're all part of soul groups, which, which um, Michael Newton reckons is, say, around about um, 24 people who are a soul group that we know very well, and we very often incarnate with those people over and over again because we know them extremely well, and we discuss the, um, the lives with that soul group, and we, and we support and help each other. You then go on to review your past life with a council of elders. This is a, a sort of higher beings who are very benevolent towards you, and they go through what you did right and what you did wrong um, and where you could uh, make it better. But it's, don't think of it as being like a school or a classroom. It's basically, it's, it's all unconditional love. It's, it's all sort of a, a wonderful experience and there's nothing to get um, stressed about. And you basically, you, you look at your past life and other lives with your soul group. You all share your experiences. And of course, while you're in spirit, you still spend some time learning. Uh, you can also spend a lot of time having fun. Um, Michael Newton uh, classed people into beginner, immediate, intermediate, and advanced souls. So advanced souls are people who, who've um, been uh, incarnated many, many times. And beginners, obviously, have only incarnated a few times. And he divided people up into that based on the experiences that um, they, they, uh, they reported. Um, he also mentioned about the role of guides, who are, the, who are basically people like us who serve many, many incarnations and get to a point where we can help other people in, in their lives. So people like us uh, become guides in the future. 
uh, as I said before, there's no, we found there was no pressure to take on a new life. Um, there were lots of discussion with guides and counsel regarding your next life. And also you could review all your next life options. And also you go through a preparation of about your next life and learning to recognize key moments and people. That's very interesting, actually, because um, it gives an example, I think. I mean, you, you might say to yourself, well, I've, I've got all these lessons to learn. I've got all this stuff I want to do in this life. But of course, you arrive here with complete amnesia. You know, you don't know what the hell you're supposed to be doing. But what happens is in the preparation process, you are given clues. These are like synchronistic events. These are like that feeling that you're drawn to a certain person or drawn to a certain place. These are things that we as, as individuals need to look at and need to study. And what, one very simple example um, that he gives in the book, I think, is of uh, a chap that was told a woman that was going to be very important in his life. He said um, she would arrive on a bike with a white dress and she'd be wearing a, a silver pendant. And that's the kind of thing. And and and. That, that's, that's an event, if you weren't paying attention, that could well pass you by. But what happens is when you, when you recognise somebody in this life uh, who has some kind of deja vu or some kind of memory that's triggered, then that same thing will be happening to that person as well. So this connection will be formed. And these are the things that allow you to link up with, with other people. I'm not saying it's going to be um, a marriage or anything. It just may be a, per a person that's important in your life for a short period of time. But essentially, that there are certain points in, in your life and certain signs to look for where somebody might help you for a period of time or guide you in a certain direction. So we need to be open to these experiences. So I'm coming to the end now. Um, basically, oh, I've done a little picture of, um, of people dying and then uh, being reborn again. Um, what Michael Newton studied was the bit in between. That's what he was really interested in. So in conclusion, um, Michael Newton says, the spirit realm is absolutely vast, humongously vast, with soul groups, guys, teachers, and masters. Souls are telepathic. Um, obviously, they don't uh, talk to each other and they um, through through voices, and they create their surroundings. So I think I think those of you who are mediums will, will will know that people in the spirit world can actually create their own surroundings. You know, they, they can they can be living in the house, what looked like the house they lived in when they were on Earth. And they, they can rearrange the furniture and rearrange the doors and windows, etc. So you can have this ability to create your surroundings and you can talk to each other telepathically. Uh, young souls form the majority on Earth. That's what he, what he, what he discovered. So, so which you'd, you'd expect that because when you look at the population, um, there's such a vast increase of, of people being born on the Earth at the moment that they can't all, all be advanced souls. Souls can partially incarnate. This is this is very interesting. Um, basically, what he found is that when a soul incarnates, part of their energy incarnates, but part of the energy stays behind in spirit. And and the percentage, you know, you might be um, seventy percent incarnates in a body on the earth, but you've got thirty percent left in in spirit. Which is quite an interesting idea, isn't it? That you can you can split your 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 soul can split its energy. Um, uh, returning souls are cleansed and healed, yeah. Um, learning carries on in the spirit realm, governed by love and respect, with opportunity for fun and recreation. Souls leading a life of evil are rehabilitated or undergo karmic retribution in future lives. So there you go, no escape. Uh, new lives are considered in detail and in consultation with your guides and soul groups who may or may not incarnate with us. 
Okay, so there you go. That's um, that's basically it. Um, I do have a website, which is reincarnation.me.uk, where I've got more information on it, and, and I can put links on there um, to Helen Wambach and uh, other sources. Uh, that's it. Shall, shall, I, shall I stop sharing, um, Lawrence? Okay, I'll... Um, Are you there, Lawrence? Yes. Ah, oh, I can't um, can't hear you for some reason. Can can, can you hear me? Can, no, that's because I have oh, my mic muted. That's great. Okay. I thought maybe I've been talking for the last twenty minutes and nobody could hear me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Try again. That was brilliant. <laughs> Really, okay. really good. A uh, lot of positive comments coming in on the site. Would you mind just a couple of questions, please, David? Sure, yeah, yeah. I can't see them, actually. Are they, um... Oh, yes, I can now, yeah. There we go. Yeah, okay, I've got them here. Well, there's one up there from Dean Phillips up on screen now. And oh, are yes. There... Are there some souls that is their first time on the Earth plane? Uh, apparently, um, there, there, there will be, I think, as I, as I said before, if you look at the population changes, where we've got this massive increase in population heading towards over 7 billion, um, according to, to uh, Michael Newton, there are some very young souls. Um, basically, um, from other reports, souls are queuing up to come down to, to Earth. There's a, a huge interest in this current time. If you think of what happened from like, sort of the Second World War onwards, there's been absolutely massive change um, in planet Earth. There's obviously all, all the climate change, but there's also a massive um, increase in technological advances. It is, from a point of view of incarnating, it would be a very, very exciting time um, to incarnate. Not exciting if you end up um, in some um, African country and you die of malnutrition at the age of 10, obviously because it's, I'm talking about the West here. But obviously, of those 7 billion souls, a lot of people will be incarnating in some very uh, impoverished and some very sad lives. So there's a whole mixture of people. Interesting. I think there's 7 billion souls here may disagree with that statement just at this precise time. <laughs> uh, where was he? Jamie Williamson. Here we go. Oh, yes. Good, good question, Jamie. Yeah, from a, a scientific point of view. Uh, essentially, she advertised um, the, uh, her work started in, in California. Um, and basically, she, she advertised through, through posters um, for people to come along, spend, pay their $20 or whatever, and, and spend uh, a whole day uh, being regressed. So the, the subjects, you could say, were, were random in the fact that she didn't know who she was going to get. But then you might say, oh, well, you know, you've probably got people who were interested in the topic to begin with. I mean, she says that she got quite a mixture of people. So I suppose um, that there will be some people who believed in reincarnation. Um, they'll probably bring along people who didn't believe in reincarnation. So there, there would be a mixture. But there probably is a degree of bias there. Right. There we go, Luan. 
Uh, so yeah, that's that's a very good question. Uh, basically, yes. I mean, it, well, obviously, I, I don't know because I've not uh, not tried it. But uh, from what from what um, I've read from uh, Michael Newton and and also from Helen Wambach, if somebody does commit suicide, they do go back back to the same place. They they do go back to the spirit world of unconditional love, where basically people say, "Oh well, you know, you shouldn't really have done that." But there you go. We know it's been a tough time, so. People, people will, look, will be looked on sympathetically, um, and people who die by accidents, of, of course, under any conditions at all, will go back to spirit. But of course, as 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 mediums will probably tell you, some people who die um, by accident, unexpectedly, may spend some time hovering around the airplanes for quite some time before they eventually go up to the light. Especially if they died in in war or by in a nasty car accident or some other um, natural catastrophe. But everybody goes back to the same place. I'm sure that that's a great comfort to a lot of people because we've got the old doctrines of suicides and even denied a proper burial uh, going back in history. So, yes, yeah, lovely. Our very mutual and wonderful friend, Sue Townsend. Hi, <laughs> Sue. <So> <laughs> Oh, my own past life. Uh, yes, I have actually. I, I, I have had a, um, a past life um, regression. Um, essentially, what, what, what I discovered is, is, is that before I was being born, before I was born, I spent a lot of time in spirit going back into, um, in, into, my, into the fetus in, in my mother's body. I spent a lot of time going back and forwards, checking that everything was okay, checking that my mother was happy, checking that my mother really wanted me, which, which fortunately she did. And I only actually entered the, um, the, the fetus at the very last minute. That's what I found out when I did one of my past life regressions. On a previous one, um, I've, I've been told, I've not actually experienced this myself, but I've been told by two separate sources that I was in the First World War. I was in America in the First World War, and I joined up when I was 17. And, and I was shot and injured and invalided out and uh, spent the rest of the, um, my time as a, a newspaper reporter. Um, died in a car crash around about 1920. So, I mean, um, I've not actually experienced that uh, past life regression myself. I've not actually been able to, to go back and do it, but that's, that's what I've been told. So I'm, I'll probably try again, actually. But to be honest, I'm not too bothered about what my own past lives were. I, I, was, I was more fascinated by the period in between lives. That's the really interesting bit. And also promoting Helen Wombach and just getting people to know that there's nothing to fear about death. That, that, is, that is the most wonderful thing that comes out of these studies is that death is a great release. It's a wonderful experience to go back and leave the physical body. I'm not advocating death, but I'm just saying that when it happens, um, it's it's a, a lovely experience so that should be very reassuring to people yes uh, i did pick up on that thread and yeah yeah that that is a great comfort probably not applied to ourselves because we all we're human you know we've all uh, i think the nicest way of saying is it's i'm not frightened of uh going to spirit it's the manner in which i go causes me concern you mean a great pain you mean um, in terms of having a, having a slow death or just? Yeah, well, people say um, they're not scared of death. 
it's just yeah. how that manifests itself. That's sometimes what we get a little bit more concerned with. Yes, if you have a long link, it's um, rather unpleasant. So there is that to remember. But, you know, hang on in there till the end and, and all will be good. <laughs> That's an interesting comment. And oh, right. Nice little tie-in there as well, because the meditation that I took this morning online was about connecting with your higher self back in spirit. And when you said that, I thought, oh, well, there we go, we're doing that today. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. It, it does tie in, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, it, it does seem from Michael Newton's work um, that, that, that only part of us incarnates and the, and the rest of it is still learned. And, and he also mentions on some of the cases that when people go back, uh, when people die and go back to spirit and they meet up with the soul groups, that they know straight away who's in and who's out because they can see the, feel the energy of the person, but they know it's incomplete because that person is living a life on earth, but they can still communicate with them. So the, so the, the soul energy is split between being in spirit where it's not at its full potential, uh, but it's at its full potential down on earth because the right amount of energy. And it's basically, it seems to be around the fact if, if you have a strong physical body, uh, you may well have more energy um, to, to incarnate within that body you know, may become more athletic, or maybe that—that's why some athletes um, do so well because they've got a lot of soul energy in them. Whereas other people with weaker bodies maybe have less energy. Um, I'm just surmising that. I don't know for sure, but um, it may be that there's a, a distribution like that based on the state of the physical body you incarnate in. Very interesting. Time for one last question. Just come in from lovely Paula. Uh, really interesting question is it about dementia I don't really know the answer to this um, you, you can certainly imagine that part of them would be in the spirit world you wonder whether whether they're, they're moving in and out but um, I, I wouldn't actually know I've not really, that's something I've looked into but it'd be certainly interesting to find out about it whether people in dementia or, or anybody in we know in a coma that the, 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 the spirit has, has left the body and, and the body is um I don't know if you've heard of Evan Alexander. He was a neurosurgeon, um, just, just very briefly. He's a neurosurgeon who obviously did lots of um, brain work and was very much a scientist, didn't believe in anything at all, you know, to, to do any, any mumbo-jumbo. But what happened is he had a, um, a, a nasty case of E. coli meningitis, which basically knocked him into a coma, and it started eating away at his brain. So as far as the, um, the physicians were concerned, it, it was brain dead. And basically, he'd he, he been out for several weeks. But he, what happened is he woke up from it and he had a massive near-death experience where he'd, he'd been in the spirit world all that time, meeting up with people. And basically, he's now written, so, written several books on the topic and, he, and he's running courses because he's completely changed. Man, that this experience changed his whole life. So while he was in this coma, his, his, his soul, if you like, was, was away in the spirit world meeting up with um, lots of other people and learning lots of interesting things. So maybe people with dementia are popping in and out. I don't know. Good question. Well, it it yeah. is. And um, just a little nugget from me personally, in my experience, uh, I had a communication during a service for a lady, described this gentleman, she could take this gentleman, gave the evidential side, she could take that.
but I could tell by the look on her face a, a, a puzzlement. And I said, why, why are you not accepting this person? She said, they're here. I'm going to see him today. And I went, hang on. And I came back and I actually got the guy's name straight off. And she no. said, well, that's him. She said, but he's still alive. I'm going to see him. He's got dementia. I thought, wow, how mm. interesting. My job is to work with spirit. Yeah. I didn't put the caveat in there, spirit of people who are no longer here on earth. I just said, I will work with spirit. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, that, I, I find that a great source of comfort or potential comfort for those that see people with that dimen uh, dementia aspects that the body is going through that but the real you the real essence the soul is free of that yes yeah mm. david what a fantastic evening thank you so much thanks for having me that's a oh. pleasure absolute pleasure thank you everybody for joining us very quick run through what's coming up uh, this week. Tomorrow at three o'clock, we have Rosemary Spencer taking our service live within the church. And that will also be broadcast live on the Facebook page. Then on Monday evening at seven o'clock, we have the med a meditation. Wednesday, three o'clock, we have another live service being broadcast from the church. And don't forget, you can come to these services in the church. And this Wednesday, we have Alan Jeff Potts. On Friday night, we've got an extra. We've snuck in a quickie here. <laughs> uh, we've got an evening with Diana Coldman, and she'll be talking about shamanic wisdom and drum healing. And then very hotly on the heels of that, on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, we're joined live by Steve Richards from Australia. And uh, he's... he's it's very difficult to describe what he's going to talk about, but it does link in very closely with the shamanic side of Diana Coleman's the night before. It just feels like these energies really belong together. So I know there is going to be the element of the Aboriginal dream time from Steve, but also he expands out onto different levels of consciousness. So, yeah, a really out there weekend. So, David, just remains to be said, again, thank you so much. We are so fortunate, the wonderful people that give up your time, come in and talk to us. We really, really do appreciate it. Lovely seeing all you people on the side there with your positive comments. Um, I really hope that you're getting a lot out of these, the Saturday nights, which I've now called in the educational nights. All different things coming in. Just to learn, find out more. If you, if you can go along with it, great. If you don't go along with it, great. At least you're there trying. So thank you all for joining. <laughs> Good yeah. night, everybody. Good night. Thank you.